really a, a, a truly a privilege to uh, learn more about you, Father. And uh, we thank you for the different ministries taking place here this evening. We thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you, cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, the washed away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to you. In your kingdom, broken lives are made new. You make us new. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, come every way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away it's when we see you we find strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away the washed away Hosanna Hosanna You are the God who saves us Worthy of all our praises Hosanna 
Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, the skies, proclaim the, the skies proclaim the works of your hands. The heavens declare your glory. And uh, that's kind of what this next song talks about. It talks about uh, the amazing God that we, we serve. breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations. With truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. Down your life that I would be set free. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place 
that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Our Father, Creator, you hold our hearts together. There's no one higher than you. Redeemer, Defender, our great and mighty Savior, there's no one higher than you. Cause you are always with us, gracious to forgive us, by your power we've been set free. Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Astounded by your mercy and love Our hands are lifted high in surrender Your grace for me is always enough There is no one higher than our God There is no one greater than let my life forever praise the glory of your name. There is no one higher than you. Majestic in wonder, you reign with love forever. There's no one higher than you. Your beauty, your splendor, your glory knows no measure. There's no one higher than you. Because you are always with us, gracious to forgive us. By your power we've been set free. And Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Astounded by your mercy and love Our hands are lifted high in surrender Your grace for me is always enough There is no one higher than our God There is no one greater than you let my life forever praise the glory of your name. There is no one higher than you. There is no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God. There is none more able, Christ our Savior, great and glorious. 
Christ our Savior, great and glorious. There is no one higher than our God. Amen. And Father, we're just here to worship you one more time, Lord, just to lift up the, the past week, to lift up uh, just our time with you. And I pray that we would just allow you to speak to our hearts, our minds, Father, that you would receive our worship, even as I said before, not just as we're singing, but in our fellowship afterwards, but even our sitting down and listening to your word, that we would truly be in worship of who you are and what you do and what you're going to do in Jesus name. Amen. Why don't you guys go and have a seat and take out your bulletins. We have Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Midweek studies are on Thursdays at 7. And then we've got the men's and women's studies. The women's are starting up again Tuesday on the 9th. That's our Tuesday evening at uh, uh, 7 p.m. You guys are going to you ladies are going to start in lesson 9. Um, and then the, they have the same study Wednesday mornings. And the men's study with Pastor Mike, uh, what's happening, will be starting in February. But we do have a Wednesday morning study for the guys. At 6.30 in the morning with Pastor Mike, we're going through uh, the book of Acts. Not only that, we also have a great uh, Chorizo con huevos breakfast and just a good time of fellowship. So come on out and join us for that. Um, if you look in under events here, a couple opportunities to serve. Still the sound and presentation ministries have an opportunity and then uh, children's ministry on Sunday mornings as well. And if you need a receipt uh, for your tithes and offerings that you're given, just let us know, and we'll have that for you next week at the information booth. Just There's a, a sign-up sheet. Just give us your name, and then we can get your information for you and have it ready for you next week. Uh, keep the high schoolers in prayer. At the end of this month, they're going to be going to their winter retreat, and uh, those... Uh, uh, deposits were, were already due. The $60 deposit total cost is $135 for that. Uh, but just keep them in prayer. Keep those kids in prayer as they just get closer to Christ and moms and dads as they stay here and send their kids off. Just keep the families in prayer again for what God will do with them later on this month. And then the Valentine's dinner is coming up. We got to hear from Richard as he was sharing some things. Um, but the Valentine's dinner is going to be for, uh, for uh, the husbands and wives on Saturday, February 17th. And uh, we're going to have a great message, great food, uh, a comedy uh, show with that as well, a good message. And then, uh, of course, the cost only $40 for a couple. So um, if you'd like to do that, just sign up for that. And, and again, that's going to be on February uh, the 17th. And then lastly, don't forget about our door-to-door uh, -door ministry. We go out the last Saturday of each month, and that will be on the 28th. And then we're kind of dropped back in the normal schedule. You can see our schedule there. Season of Sorrow kicks up on the 8th this Monday. They'll meet here at 7. And the next one, every two weeks after that, the, the 22nd is the following one after that as well. And then if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 6, just a couple of verses regarding our tithes and offerings. Um, 
uh, Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. And then he goes on in verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What did it say? Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will be not condemned. Well, the same thing with giving. So I kind of want to look at the generosity side of things. Give, and it will be given unto you. And I think the question is, how do we give? How do you give? How do I give? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And I had a rude awakening the other day. I took my kids and my wife. We all went down to the movie theater. And we didn't just go to a regular movie. This is a luxury plus, and you have these reclining chairs. And you go in there. It's like $12 a ticket. There are seven of us. And then, of course, we'll celebrate. We'll get popcorn and a couple of ices. And it's like $150 of the movies. This was an event for my family. Well, when I went to get my popcorn, what did they do? They put that scoop in there, and they shoved it in there, and they shook it, pound, 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 put more in there. And, I mean, it was literally, it was running. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Well, I had to go back for a lid because I needed an extra lid for another kid that wanted popcorn. Well, oh, that'll be 25 cents, sir. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, just... But the point is, how generous are we? What is the outcome of what we do that someone receives? The same thing with my movie experience. Just remember, the same measure that we use is the same measure that's used back to us. So with that said, we're not going to have the ushers come forward tonight to receive our tithes and offerings. But if you're prepared, you can drop them in the copy box. Thank you, and God bless. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled, the whole earth is filled and the whole earth is filled with his glory I see the Lord seated on the And the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And the whole earth is filled. The whole earth is filled. And the whole earth is filled. His glory, holy, 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 holy is the
I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted in the train of his robe, fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled, the whole earth is filled. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Holy, 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 holy is the the sound 
of your great name sacred heal and the dead are raised at the sound of your great name Jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us son of God and man you are high and lifted up all the world will praise your great name your great name redeemer my healer lord almighty defender my savior you are my king redeemer my healer, Lord Almighty, Defender, my Savior, you are my King. Jesus. Please stand. I meet with you and my soul sings out as your word throws down far away. I sing to you and my heart cries holy hallelujah father you're near my hope is in you lord all the day long i won't be shaken by drought or storm peace surpasses understanding is my song and i sing my hope is in you alone I wait for you and my soul finds rest in my selfishness you show me grace I worship you and my heart cries glory hallelujah father you're here my hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. 
won't be shaken by drought or storm. A peace that passes understanding is my song, and I sing, my hope is in you alone. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. I will wait on you. You are my refuge. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. A peace that passes understanding is my song. And I sing, my hope is in you alone. My hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for the great hope that does reside in us, Lord, that we are able to trust in you for tomorrow, the future, Lord, and eternity. And so, God, as you are so good and done so much in our lives, we just pray tonight, Lord, that you would prepare us for every good work for this coming week, that we glorify your holy name. So we just thank you, Father, for tonight. Pray that you bless us in your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday, Linda. Or is it Mary Sunday? Never mind. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Kings. 2 Kings will be starting in chapter 15. <clears throat> now, as I said so many times before, we are all called to leadership. God has given every born-again believer somebody in his life to lead. There's somebody in your life that looks up to you as an example to who a mature, or at least a maturing, Christian is. What we've been looking at in 2 Kings is a succession of leaders. We've taken almost a month off with all that's gone on in our Christmas season and our uh, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, and all of that. But we've been looking at these kings of the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. And both kingdoms, again, we've seen a line of bad kings, ungodly men who sought after the flesh and not after the Lord, But only in the southern king have we seen a few good kings who did what was right in the sight of God. They all had the capacity, but few had the tenacity to be the leader God had commanded them to be of his people. 
And so again, to whom much has been given, much is expected. And so each one of these kings is accountable. Now as we go through 2 Kings, we'll see the northern king during the time frame of the southern king, and then we'll focus on the southern king during the time frame of the northern king. Another commonality we see is how the kings that did do right in God's sight either did not continue to do so or failed to thoroughly do so. We'll see two of those examples tonight in the southern king. And so we are told in the scriptures that we'll be hated by all, but he who endures to the end, that person will be saved. It's not that this is a works for the purpose of salvation, but this is a byproduct of salvation. Those who are truly saved, who are truly born again, are going to have enduring faith that will trust in God in the face of whatever hardship it is that presents itself. So again, as we're going through the succession of kings, tonight we come upon a new king in the southern kingdom of Judah, the son of Amaziah. This man's name is Azariah. Azariah was this king's given name, which means Yahweh has helped. His throne name, though, became, and it's where you're probably familiar with him, is Uzziah. Uzziah means Yahweh is strength. We looked at a small picture of his life. About three years ago, I looked it up as we were going through the book of Isaiah. And we saw this man, and we saw he was a good king, and he did many good things. And he was a, a, a king who was seated upon the throne, and his royal historian was the prophet Isaiah. It was that time when the Lord took Uzziah's life, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so that was an event of note by a king who is to be noted. And we'll look at a little bit of his relationship with Isaiah and what God was doing, because sometimes it seems like even good leaders are taken from us even too soon. And so in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 1, it says, In the 27th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, so once again there's kind of this flip-flop just for time period. This is Jeroboam II, not the original Jeroboam. Um, Jeroboam is now king of the northern kingdom, Israel, and it says it was during his reign that Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. I'll read verse 4, except, and that word except, it looms very large, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. It was some 750 years before the birth of our Lord that this 16-year-old young man ascended to the throne of Judah. Now, I can remember where, to a degree, it's been a long time, where I was at 16 years old. I was ill-prepared to be king, so I can imagine the responsibility that was placed upon this young man as he was seated upon that throne. But again, he was described as one of those kings who did right in the sight of the Lord. He had a heart to please God. Now, we've looked at this a few times in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 
we're told that every king of Israel, and talking about the country as a whole, but how much more so the king of Judah, who was seated in Jerusalem, they were required to write out the law so that they would know the law, they would govern by the law. And so they were required to write out their own copy of the law so that they would know the things of the Lord. So all of these kings, all of these leaders would be without excuse. When we looked at Joshua, we saw that he had an advantage that no other leader before him ever had, and that he was the very first leader who had the written word of God to govern him. And God says, don't veer off to the left and don't veer off to the right. He wanted him to cut a straight line as he made his decisions based upon what God desired the decisions to be based upon. And so Uzziah, according to his testimony, doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, he had to have based the majority of his decisions upon God's word. Now, he was a man who sat on the throne for quite a long time. He ruled for some 52 years. He possessed a very good balance of administrating the country and conducting war. He was a man who was able to administrate very effectively and that others thrived under his leadership. Israel was able to gain back some of their land under his time. You would look at this man, you would look at his reign and says, God blessed or, well, Judah during this time, and it had to be, a big part of it had to be, is because his heart was right with God. In Second Chronicles, which parallels the story of Second Kings, it says in verse, or chapter 26, verse 5, that Uzziah, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, this is not Zechariah the prophet that is mentioned in your Bible, but a man of God. Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so I look at that. Why are we reading this man's life so long ago? Why do we read anybody in the Old Testament? Well, I think we have a clue from this morning's study, the Sunday mornings that we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 11. We study their lives because their lives, to a degree, mimic ours. And so just as I see King Uzziah, as he sought after the Lord and God blessed him, well, I pray that I would seek after the Lord, that we would seek the Lord individually and corporately, and God would make us prosper. Make us prosper, not making a bigger wallet, but truly being used to a greater degree in the capacity to which God has called us for his purposes. That Calvary Chapel, corporately, Ontario, would truly be a light to Ontario. That the gospel will continually go out from this place. And you can pretty much, even on our evening services, which are at least obviously attended service, well, for tonight, I've already looked at the numbers, there's about four times as many people watching online right now. And so because you attend this church, because you support this church, the word of God is going out. Sunday morning, we have probably double the amount of people that are watching online. And so we build this following, but not a following just to have a following, not just for numbers, but again, for the word to go out. And the word, it, it only achieves what it desires, what God desires for it to achieve, achieve as there are ears willing to listen, but also a preacher, and when I mean a preacher, I'm talking about the church as a whole, willing to deliver that word. And so because people are faithful in the house of God, because we seek the Lord, because people give to the work here and all, we're, that's got to be our focus. Our focus has to be for the word of God to go out. 
And you can relate that back to last Sunday morning's teaching when we look at that picture of prophecy that we are to wait, but we, it's to be an active wait. And we are to be an active church individually as we take the gospel out of these walls, but again, corporately as we're here inviting people in, ministering to people, seeing people be healed, seeing people be encouraged in the gifting that God has given them, seeing people who've been beat up by the world, but they would come and be healed within the church, that we would truly be Christ's arms, that we would truly be the hands of God into the lives of those who are here. And so we have to see as we're studying these things in these Old Testament, again, tonight this King Uzziah, I got to look at him and say, okay, God bless him. Why did God bless him? And understand why God blessed him and how God blessed him and realizing that the same God that blessed him is the same God who desires to bless me. And so I look at his life as an example, both his victories and his failures. We'll look at Isaiah a little bit tonight, a man used mightily by God, and I want to be used mightily by God, and we'll see the things that God did, some of the hard things that God did in his life so that he would be used as well. So again, verse 4, except the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper, until the day of his death, so he dwelt in an isolated house, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. We'll look at Jotham at the end of our study, but for a period of time, they were co-regents. Uzziah, having, we'll look at that, having been stuck with leprosy, he would have to separate himself from God's people. And so to effectively rule, he became co-regent with his son, and they kind of ruled as a team. So, Uzziah, Uzziah was about as good as we see that a king can get. We'll see Hezekiah, he seemed to do a little bit better. But then one day, after 52 years of success, 52 years of being diligent in the Lord and moving forward, it was all destroyed in a moment of pride. Not the man's life, and obviously not his testimony, but we see what happened to his life because he was disobedient to what God said that a king should do and who God said a king would be. Turn over in your Bibles, just a couple chapters to the right, to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Again, this chapter parallels Second Kings chapter 15 in speaking of Uzziah's life. In 2 Chronicles, starting at verse 15, it says, and this is speaking again of King Uzziah, and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones, so his, so Uzziah's fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Now, he was helped. Why is the only reason that you need to be helped? because there's some sort of weakness. You have some sort of weakness in your life, which we all have, that we need one another. I need you, you need me, and we work well together as a team. How much more so in marriage, as far as my wife and my, myself, two are better than one. We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And so as Uzziah's heart was sold out to the Lord, God was doing great things for the purpose of protecting the southern kingdom, even expanding their borders, and the people were thriving till... He became strong. A lot of times, a physical strength in our lives can lead to a spiritual weakness in our lives. It's those times when we think that we've got it made, that we think we're doing okay. 
don't worry about me, Lord. I'm doing all right that we have become weak. What did Paul say? Paul said, in weakness, I've become strong. He realizes the times he's struggling are the times that he seeks after the Lord, and it's those times when God is very apparent in his life, and God will strengthen him as he seeks him out. Well, it's kind of the opposite here with King Uzziah. He became strong, and he forsook the Lord. And, and really, it's not so much of not wanting anything to do about God, but instead of building up God, he's determined that he's going to build himself up. He steps over a line here in verse 16. But when he was strong... His heart was lifted up. That means he became prideful. His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Now, when it says he transgressed, that's not just a sin as far as he missed the mark. A transgression is knowing what the law says and violating that law. He knew what God desired in this particular instance, and he went contrary to God's will in it. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, now again, don't get caught up in these names or at least confused by these names. This Azariah is not Uzziah. Back in 2 Kings, Azariah is Uzziah. But here, there's another man named Azariah, and this is the priest, the high priest, verse 17. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They know what is right, and they know Uzziah is not a priest, and he ought not to have crossed that line. He ought not to have gone into where he has gone into, and they realize that we need to stand before God rather than cowing down before any man, regardless of who he is. Verse 18, And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have uh, trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious. So once again, he's not used to people telling him no. And so he's pretty upset how they could, these, these priests could come up against him. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. Leprosy is a picture of the effects of sin. He was leprous, so they thrust him out of the uh, place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So it had to be at that instant that he realized that he was contrary to God at that moment. And so he got out, but unfortunately, he already willfully violated what God had told him not to do. It wasn't that this man was ignorant, but his problem was this man became arrogant. He became lifted up by his success and even God's blessing in his life that he lost perspective. And we have to maintain that humble hearts within our lives. And I can see somebody on the day that they're saved and I see that humility about them. Talked a little bit about it this morning, but people when they're being baptized, you see that humility. 
I think that's what communion, part, partly of what communion is designed to, is to keep us humble as we remember Christ upon the cross and all that God has done for us. And it's that humble spirit that we must maintain because there's going to be something that fills the void of humility. And if you take humility out of the equation, the vacuum will fill it with pride. And that's exactly what happened here with King Uzziah to his detriment and eventually to the kingdom's detriment. So what's the problem with what he has done? Well, quite frankly, the king is not to do the duty of a priest. Now, the king can be from any of the tribes of Israel, but the priest can only be of the tribe of Levi, and only they were the ones who were authorized by God. Now, Uzziah would have written this out when he wrote out the word of God. They were the only ones that were authorized to be able to offer incense or sacrifice. The dual office of king and priest, it was reserved for two parties. The first party is Jesus Christ. We see this in the book of Revelation 19.16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh, speaking of the Lord, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So we see that Jesus, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one who rules our lives. And the question we have to constantly be asking of ourselves, and I think it's what keeps us in the proper perspective, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? A prideful person will push him aside and try to take that role of their life, but Jesus is king, but Jesus is also priest. He also represents us before God and represents God to us. But this is a dual office that is reserved for Christ, but also is reserved for us. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are part of a royal priesthood. That's kind of a contradiction of terms. Royal priesthood, a Jew would think, aren't those to be separated? But through Christ, the two are combined. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And he, Christ, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion, dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are kings. We are heirs of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But we're also priests. We represent God to the people, and we represent people to God. So we do have a need of good earthly rulers, but there can so easily be a trap here. And we can look throughout the annuals of history and see it. We can even look in our own nation and see how things go askew so easily. We take a leader and we'll put that leader on a pedestal in which they're destined to fail. We usually do it when we elect a president, really any elected official, but how much more so as a president. We expect, and I'm not talking perfectly about the church, but the people in general, we buy into all of their promises. And what do they do? They promise us basically the world. And, and they're going to make our lives better. They're going to bring prosperity. They're going to bring peace. And they're going to bring protection. And then we vote for that person, and we're waiting for the prosperity, the peace, and the protection and it never really comes. They come close maybe in a few areas, but they're never going to exercise complete victory in these areas. These are things that only God is able to produce, and we've got to recognize that. We have to understand that. And so what do we do when that elected official fails, at least in our sight? We throw him out, and we bring the next one in. 
and then we have a succession of, of failures because none of them are ever going to be able to live up to their promises because they're promising what only God is able to deliver. We know in times, we know how things are going to end, and things are going to get a lot worse. Why? Because the ultimate of the elected official is going to be the Antichrist. And that's what all is leading to. I'm not saying that there's not godly men who are elect- and women who are elected to office. Don't get me wrong on that. But that's going to be the fulfillment of this. He's going to make great promises worldwide. And worldwide, we're going to, I shouldn't say we, because we won't be around. But those who are here during that time, they'll be looking to him to bring peace at a time when there's anything but peace in the world. And we can look at the world stage today and we see how in upheaval it is. What happens when there's a man who is able to at least seemingly come in and rectify the situation, to be able to give us what the world seeks after, heaven here on earth? Well, there's never going to be heaven here on earth. Matter of fact, it looks more along the lines of hell here on earth, at least to a degree. Interesting, when we look at history, some of our leaders who approached this ability, just as Uzziah, God took him. God took him. Lincoln, Lincoln was taken from us very early in his second term. Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, not Theodore Roosevelt, but um, Franklin Roosevelt, World War II had yet to be done. All eyes were upon him, and God took him. John F. Kennedy, he was looked at a man of, of peace and much accomplishment, and God took him. Martin Luther King, and there's been many leaders who man, as they depend upon him, sees the frailty of man. And has to understand God does work through the agency of man, but ultimately it's a work that God does. And so we need to see that in the body of Christ. It's not about the man behind the pulpit, but the man behind the pulpit needs to be transparent. And God works through him and touches the hearts of people. And then as you go out, it's not about you. You need to be transparent, if you will. But uh, the Spirit flows through you as you share and speak the word of God. And God does this great work. And when that happens, when God's people are all on board with that, we call it revival. Now, it's not that any of the people that I mentioned, that they assume the position of God, but people start placing them there, at least in their mind. And we start placing them there and attributing things to them that only God would be able to deliver. We need to keep that in proper perspective. Now, behind the scenes, God is wanting, now I'm speaking of Uzziah's reign, God is wanting to raise up his man. He's wanting to raise up Isaiah. Remember, he's the royal court historian. He's a man who has been used by God and has been speaking the words of God to the people. But there just seems to be this situation that is in existence that's kind of holding him back. And so the reason that the Lord wants to use him is not for physical protection, but for spiritual restoration of the country. He wants to see, God wants to see the country advance in the relationship with him. And for great change, a lot of times, God allows at least seemingly great catastrophe. Sometimes we have to go through some downtime, some hard times in order to understand and to realize God's great times. Isaiah Isaiah first has to come to that great catastrophe that we all must come to, the realization that he's a sinner. And because of that, for that to happen, for God to use this man, Isaiah, Uzziah had to be removed. In God's God's ways, it's in God's word, and that's what we can draw from that. But for whatever reason it was necessary, Uzziah 
Uzziah had to be moved. Even when speaking the truth of God to others, self-righteousness can so easily spring up. And Uzziah was a stumbling block in Isaiah's life. Because again, he's king histor- um, the, the, the palace historian. He's pretty close with the king. I've read, and I don't recall where I read it, it's possible that Uzziah was even related to Isaiah. And when the king is close to you, when you're tight with the king, things are good. Because you can pretty much say whatever you want, and who's going to come up against you? So in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah proclaimed seven woes there against Judah. But the most cutting woe that he is to proclaim will come in chapter 6, verse 5 of Isaiah, when he cries out, woe is me. And so he, he was proclaiming judgment upon the people. But then came the time when Uzziah died. And we all know that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw God. Now, when God reveals himself to you, you also see the picture of yourself. And you see the proper perspective of yourself. I can remember during the time that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was saved, I was part of a denomination, as a lot of us were, and just kind of going through the motions. And then I was invited to a Bible study on a Wednesday night, and I started to attend. And the man who was preaching the word, my pastor, as he was preaching the word, I came to understand these things, these things that I knew something about but never was able to put the pieces together. Suddenly the pieces started coming together under the guise of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's then that I'm starting to understand these things and how these things work and what these things mean in a life. And uh, I'm starting to, to know God and to understand God. But as I come to know God and understand, understand him, I'm starting to know me and understand me and seeing myself for the sinner that I am. And it's then that you come to that conclusion, woe is me. Because just as Isaiah is proclaiming woes upon them, or you better watch out, there's judgment coming. Now he says, I better watch out. There's judgment coming into my life. See, God is going to call him. He's going to cleanse him. He's going to employ him before any of these things can happen, though. Isaiah had to see God, which brings us to the next thing that happened to Isaiah before he could use by the king of glory. Unfortunately, the king of this world had to die. And so we've got to make this consideration. Uzziah, I want to be a good leader. He was a good leader. Did he endure to the end? Well, apparently in faith he did, but he did have that last lapse. Unfortunately, it was that lapse that would go on to cost him his life. Now, God's told us all things work together for the good, and God's working a good thing here, and he's got another man in place, Isaiah. But again, Uzziah, the Uzziah in his life had to go. What could be an Isaiah, I'm sorry, a Uzziah in our lives? A Uzziah in our lives that is causing us to not see the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Could be a job. It could be your health or your ability, your strength. Could be a savings account. Might be a relationship. And there's probably a lot more things that I can mention. Certain things that you're depending upon. Certain things that, well, you know, if time ever gets bad, if things get hard, if the economy goes upside down again or whatever, I've got this over here and that's going to get me through rather than I have him up there who's going to get me through. And it's so easy for that over there to blur he who is up there. The things that we see can so easily blur our faith in our living God. And so what happens if and when God takes these things from our life? What do you do when what you depended upon for your security, for your protection, 
and for your provision is taken from you, there's basically one of two options. It's either despair. Remember the Great Depression? People were jumping out of windows and whatnot. They were losing their fortunes and everything was gone. So it's either despair or there's a turning to God. And Isaiah, what did Isaiah do? He turned to God. And God said, who's going to go for us? And it was then that he said, here I am. And again, the idea is, here I am, such as I am, use me. Back to Second Kings, verses 6 and 7. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah, this is Uzziah, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So King Uzziah, a good king, who unfortunately left a few things undone. We just looked at pride. But also, there were these high places. And we'll see it with his son as well. And we've seen it with a few kings of the past. And so we'll just revisit this fairly quickly. These high places, because again, it it says in verse 3, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Now, the high places, for the most part, were places that were used for idolatry. So idolatry was going on in the land. But also, when the people came in and conquered the people of the land and expelled them, they took their places of worship as well. Now, God had commanded that he would be worshipped in the place of his choosing. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place, we know this to be Jerusalem, where the Lord your God chooses out of all of your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. Well, that's the problem. The people aren't wanting to go that far, so they start picking up places that they're going to worship God. And now they're worshiping. They're doing no different, really, than Uzziah did by going into that, um, into the temple. They're representing themselves rather than how God has chosen to be represented. And so they've taken these pagan places of worship, and they're worshiping Yahweh, the holy God, according to how he commanded them to not do so. So even though they are worshiping him, this is sin. They commanded them to come into Jerusalem and to worship at the temple. And again, he let pride get the best of him. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Moving on now from Uzziah. Again, we're bouncing from southern kingdom to northern kingdom. We're going to bounce back up to five notorious northern kings. All of these men were godless and evil, and four of the five were assassinated. Each of these kings will succeed in hastening the coming of the judgment of the Lord upon the northern kingdom of Israel. We're going to see tonight Assyria coming upon the scene. And so the first person that we have is a northern king, Zechariah. Now again, this is not Zechariah the prophet. This man is a king of the northern kingdom. Verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam. Now, again, this, there are two Jeroboams as well. There's Jeroboam the first. This is Jeroboam the second. The son of Jeroboam reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. 
for Israel, the northern kingdom, Samaria would be their Jerusalem. This is their capital city. So when you see Samaria enter in, that's what they're talking about. It would be like our Washington. That Jeroboam reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet. Now this would be the first Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the Acts of Zechariah, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation, and so it was. Zechariah was the great great-grandson of Jehu. We looked at Jehu about a month ago. He was a man who God used, although his heart turned away from the Lord, and he did not do what was right in the sight of God. God promised Jehu, this previous king, that his dependents would be seated upon the throne for four generations. Well, if you're Zechariah, I, I wondered as I was putting this study together, did he know that he was the fourth generation Did he know that this whole thing was going to end with him? Now, the reason that God had said that was for the northern kings to know and to understand, and we saw this concept on Thursday night as well, that God is in control. It's why God gives us prophecy. It's why God tells us of the things that are going to happen before they happen so that we know that the hand of the Lord is upon all that's going on. Again, I pointed that out last Sunday morning when we were looking at our picture of prophecy or prophecy update that the things we see going on in the world, we don't panic because God said that these things are going to happen. Jesus says, watch. Jesus doesn't say panic. He says, watch, and we're going to be seeing the will of God played out. In Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, it says, Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. So, once again, we have this surety of our God who inhabits eternity, who inhabits our future. Again, Sunday night is a good time to be reminded that in this coming week, I'm entering into what God has. There's going to be hard things that happen in your life, there's going to be difficult things that happen in your life. There will be joyful things that happen in your life this coming week. God has orchestrated every single one of them. And so you kind of think, well, why should I even bother to try? Well, we want to be obedient to the Lord. As God has the situations and circumstances laid out for us, I enter in. Am I entering in in a state of obedience or am I entering in in a state of disobedience? As I look at the scriptures, I see disobedience doesn't usually go very well. Things, two things to note in this man's reign. First, again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as all the northern kings did. I think there was eight out of 20, something like that, on the southern kings that did right in the sight of God. This man, he was assassinated after six months. Six months, he lost his life. That's the length of his rule. This man, Shalom, now takes over, verses 13 through 15. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. 
For Menahim, the son of Gadai, went up from uh, Tirzah, came to Samaria, and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh in Samaria, and killed him, and he reigned in his place. So this guy only lasted one month. We see in him that the assassin himself was assassinated. Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back onto him. So as you do, it will be done to you, is the idea here. Warren Wearsby said concerning this man, he says, if Shalom had any descendants, they probably wouldn't admit it. So this man was a man who was not admired, and more than likely, not too many people were sorry to see him go. So now we have this man, uh, Manahim, verses 16 through 22. Then from Tisra, Manahim attacked uh, Tifash and all who were there in its territory because they did not surrender. Therefore, he attacked it. Now we're seeing the heart of this man. All the women there who were with child, he ripped open. And so you can just see the butcher that he was. And you see the, the, the personality, the mindset, if you will, of this man. Verse 17. And the 39th year... Azariah, king of Azariah, king of Judah, Manahim, the son of Gadai, became king over Israel and reigned ten years in Samaria. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, who had made Israel sin. Pool, king of Assyria, came against the land. Now, this is in the days of the rise of Assyria. They're not the world power that they're going to become, but they're a very serious threat at this time. So Pul, the king of, Pul, obviously the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahim gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Manahim extracted the money from Israel, from the very wealthy, from each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria, so that the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Manahim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Manahim rested with his fathers, then Pekiah, the son, his son, reigned in his place. This is a warlike general a warlike general who assumed the throne, who ruled ruthlessly. He ruled for about 10 years, and it seems that he died of natural causes. His legacy, that he was a man who did not trust in God, so he had to trust in something else. So we've got this threat. We've got this threat of Assyria. And Assyria is entering into the land, and they're up and coming, and he's concerned about it. Obviously, he recognizes their power. He recognizes his power, especially as a general, and so he's concerned that they're going to overrun him. And so if you don't trust in God, because a man of faith would have trusted in God, we see King David do that and beat superior foes. We'll see Hezekiah do that and able to defeat Assyria. And so he gathered together the nobles of the land, and basically, basically if you want to keep what you got, you need to pony up here. And this is a, just a picture of a man who has no trust in God. He's got to trust in his own ability, his own strength, and his own riches. Kind of like the United States of America. As we move further and further away from the Lord, what is it that we trust in? It hasn't been a good thing. We, we, we trust in our abilities. We trust in our strength, and we trust in our riches. But the thing man forgets, they pale in comparison to the hand of God. Now, he was able to gather this tribute together and pay off this king, and Assyria did leave, but in 20 years they would be back, and they would be back with a vengeance. Hosea 13:16 speaks of Assyria. 
It says, Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They, Samaria, shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their woman with child ripped open. And so he's basically saying the things that this man had done to others, it's going to come back upon him. And then Pekahiah, verses 20, sounds like an Indian kind of, but anyway, verses 23 through 26. In the fifth year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Pekahiah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahim, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and uh, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Aria, and with him were 50 men of Gilead, and he killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, indeed, are they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And so this is basically the son of a military man who is killed by a military man. Just not a whole lot to say. There's not a lot to say when you do evil in the sight of the Lord. And Pekah, in verse 27 through 31, in the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, who made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath, Pilser, king of Assyria, came and took Ijon, Abel, Beth, Maacha, Janoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried away, uh, carried them captive to Assyria. Then Hosea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramilia, and struck him and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Again, not a whole lot to say about this man. What we do see is, is they participated in the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam was a false worship system that instead of honoring God, turned the hearts and souls of men away from God. Now, we're going to go back down south, and we'll close with, with Jotham. Jotham is the son of Uzziah. Again, Uzziah for a period of time, he had leprosy. His son was able to co-reign with him for a period of time, and then he reigned by himself after the death of his father. Verse 32, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remilia, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, verse 35, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rizan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remilia, against Judah. So he was fighting with Syria and the northern kingdom. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. We'll look at Ahaz, and his is not 
He's a southern king, although he will not have a good testimony. A couple things just in closing. First of all, you have to see like father, like son. We looked at this concept a couple of weeks ago. Uzziah was a godly man for the most part and trained his son in the way that he should go. Neither of them perfect, but again, he took that testimony of his father and and continued it. The other guys, even those who weren't related, they all followed according to the testimony of Jeroboam, Jeroboam I, and they didn't do right by their people and they didn't do right by their country. We're told in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, why do the nations rage? And haven't we seen this throughout all of the annuals of history? The raging of the nations. You look at it now. Turn on the website of any, um, any news channel, and there's the raging in politics. I mean, it's been brutal. There, there's no debate anymore. It's just all raging. It's either the left against the right or the right against the left. And then there's Russia and Korea and many other nations that are going on. Islam, all these enemies of Israel, Hollywood. And then you're going to have, you know, it pales in comparison. Then there's going to be the big hoopla about the Super Bowl. And there's all this raging and constant going on. And even about things that just make absolutely no difference in the lives of people. And so the psalmist wrote, so way back then, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. That's what we have today. We've got the nations that are trying to break the bonds. The word of God and the instruction of the word of God from them according to living, according to their own way, and according to their own will. The reason we've been given Second Kings, the reason we've been given the Chronicles, you see, these things don't work. As man honored the Lord, God honored man. When man forsook the Lord, the Lord forsook man. And again, we need to bring this into our lives and understand that if I truly want to live a life that is blessed of the Lord, I've got to be obedient to the ways of the Lord. And so we come and we sit in Bible studies for the purpose of understanding and knowing so that we would not veer off to the right and we would not veer off to the left. We would cut that straight path. Father, once again, we just lift up your word, Father, and we see the truth that it is, and we see how it plays out in reality, Father. We see so many who have veered off from your word. We see the nations as they rage and plot a vain thing, and we see, Lord, how you have come up, and there's anything but peace, and there's anything but prosperity, there's anything but comfort, there's just upheaval. And so, Father, I just pray that we, your people, Lord, would have that spirit of obedience. And, Father, we would experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding, the peace that we're able to have in the midst of all of the raging of the nations. And so, Lord, I pray for those who have come out tonight. I pray for those who are hearing of this study, that you would go before them, that we would have a mindset to do these things. And as we do, God, I just pray that you would reign over our lives, that we would submit ourselves to your will. And, Father, that we would experience your face shining upon us. And so, Lord, we lift up the possibilities because with you, Father, the possibilities are so great. And so use us, work your blessings in us and through us, that you would be glorified through our humble lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? We have the Valentine's banquet that is coming up, and so I encourage you to get signed up for that if you have a sweetie. 
Um, if not, we could also use some help that night for service if you're able to do that. Other than that, we're just looking forward to what the Lord has for us in this coming year. Just keep up in prayer how you might be part of all that God wants to do. God bless you guys. Have a great week. God of mercy, full of grace, you are forever, always forever. Slow to anger, rich in love, you are forever, always forever. We your kingdom shout, and all your praises ring. So let the heavens roar, echo across the ground. And as your people sing of your majesty, Lord, hear the sound. Lord, hear the sound. God of mercy, full of grace, you are forever, always forever. So do anger, rich in love. You are forever, always forever. We hear your kingdom shout, and all your praises ring. So let the heavens roar, echo across the ground. And as your people sing of your majesty, Lord, hear the sound. Lord, hear the sound. Everyone, 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 you forgive, you forgive, everyone, you restore, you restore, everyone, you redeem, you redeem, everyone. Everyone, you forgive, you forgive. Everyone, you restore, you restore. Everyone, you redeem, you redeem. Everyone, so let the heavens roar, echo across the ground. And as your people sing of your majesty, Lord, hear the sound. So let the heavens roar, echo across the ground. And as your people sing of your majesty, Lord, hear the sound. Lord, hear the sound. Good night, everybody. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening and uh, stay plugged in to, uh, to the word of God.